you keep scaling from there. Eventually I had enough properties where I realized, my goodness, I'm losing money the more I work here. If I quit my job because I had my expenses covered, that's the biggest thing is having your expenses covered. I was able to quit my job. And then I realized, my goodness, now I have 40 plus hours of my life back. And what I do now is I build passive income businesses. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm Jeanette Robinson, Director of Investor Relations with Blue Lake Capital. And today, our guest on the show is Dustin Heiner. Dustin is coming to us from the toasty Phoenix, Arizona. He is the founder and host of Master Passive Income. He lives there with his wife and their four children, whom they happen to homeschool, which interestingly enough, Dustin, I also homeschooled my children for 10 years, many moons ago. One of the best things I ever did. I'm very glad of that decision in that time that I had. You previously had a career in IT before you moved, you know, full-fledged into real estate investing. And I'm sure that that has been assisted from the bachelor's degree in business that you have from Fresno State. So without further ado, Dustin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Jeanette. I really appreciate it. And it's amazing that real estate investing is fantastic, but it's what it affords me to do in my life. Meaning I could, I don't work a job. I like calling it successfully unemployed, basically finding a way to make money to provide for my family without working for somebody else. And I get to you know go to the gym, hang out with my family, jump on podcasts and talk to great people like you. So I really appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you as well. I appreciate you coming on and And it is fun when you get to really live just a higher quality life, you know, that really aligns with your values and your passions. And that's where you're spending your time. So, you know, kudos to you for making it here. You know, a lot of people have this goal and that'll definitely be one of the things, you know, that I think people will be interested in learning about today. Before we kind of jump into that, though, do you want to just share with us the story of how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'll fast forward really quickly to the end. When I was 37 years old, I was blessed to be able to quit my job because I had enough rental properties, real estate, to make money for me so I didn't have to work my job. Now, I'll quickly go back to the beginning. So growing up, I've always been entrepreneurial, you know, business-minded, thinking about starting businesses, hence the degree in business out of Fresno State. But with that... (laughs) 
being an entrepreneur, I, I had a, a newspaper out. So a lot of people don't, newer, you know, younger people wouldn't know what a newspaper out is, but a, you ride around <laughs> a bike with newspapers, with bags full of newspapers. You throw them at 5 a.m. and you know, hit garage doors, break glass windows, waking people <laughs> up. So I did that when I was 13 years old. I had a graphic and website design company. I even had a skateboard manufacturing business. I even had a, a nice. convenience store and a pizzeria. I started all these from scratch because I've always been entrepreneurial. But I was always following what we're all taught, this path that we're all taught this. And this is, everybody will recognize this easily. You go to school, you get good grades. Then you take those good grades, you go to college, you get good grades again, and then you get in thousands and thousands of dollars into debt and you get that piece of paper that they give you. It's called a degree. And you go around and you go to other companies and you try to get a job there. I call it a J-O-B, you're living just over broke. But you try to get a job and hopefully that turns into a career and then you work 40 plus years of your life and retire when you're 65 years old on what you managed to save so that you could spend the rest of your life. Well, I was following that path. I was doing IT work. I got a job doing IT at the local county government, trying to get the most secure job I could ever think of working for local government. And so I started working there. And at the same time with the businesses, they were doing okay, making a little bit of money. They weren't enough to quit my job. At the same time, I bought one rental property. And I thought, man, I need to be an investor. I need to be an investor because I saw the writing on the wall. Like if I bought one property that made me $250 or more in passive income, I could eventually quit my job. It makes me money without working. But just like happens for everybody, life got in the way. My wife and I started having child after child. Eventually, we had four children. And here's the story of what catapulted me, what pushed me, shoved me to become an investor. So we had our fourth child and I went on paternity leave. That's where the dad stays home with the mom, changes poopy diapers, bonds with the baby and all that good <laughs> stuff. And so about two weeks, I'm off of work. And that next week I get back to work on a Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon, the same week that I get back from work, my child had just been born. I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary, like the top dog. And she says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and I paused for a second. I thought, why in the world are they calling me to the office? Like, this isn't normal. And I've seen plenty of movies. Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon, this isn't good. And then I thought back, about two months before I went on opportunity to leave, there were some rumors or some rumbling going on in the county that there could potentially be layoffs, like departments are running out of money. I immediately shook that off. I said, no way. I've got so much seniority here. I make plenty of money. My bosses give me raises all the time because they know I do a good job. I shook it off. I get up and I walk down the hallway to my boss's office. Now, Jeanette, this hallway isn't very long. In fact, it's it's kind of short, but every single step I took, it felt like the hallway got longer and longer and longer. And it felt like my feet became lead bricks because the weight of it all was crushing down on me that I could potentially be losing my job. Well, I get down the hallway and I turn the corner and I see my boss's door. His door's closed and I see a secretary there, super sweet, nice old lady. And she looks at me and she says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And she's sheepishly grinning at me, trying to console me with her eyes because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. So I go and I take my seat, sitting in that chair, waiting for my boss to come out. I started thinking about my life and all this time working this plan that other people told me that I had to do, you know, go to school, get good grades and eventually get a career and retire when 65 years old. If I get laid off or I get, you know, lose my job right now, was that all a waste? Did I literally waste my life? And then I thought, oh my goodness, if I can't provide money for my family, I can't feed our family. Does that make me a failure as a father? Does that make me a failure as a husband, as a man trying to provide for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, my hands get all clammy, my forehead gets all sweaty because the weight of everything and the nerves are just crushing down on me. Well, the door to my boss's office opens up 
And out walks a coworker of mine, a lady that she has a piece of paper in her hands. She is noticeably distraught, noticeably upset, not necessarily crying, but you could tell her world has been devastated. She passes by me and my boss says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? So I get up and I go into his office and I get laid off. And if it happened to me, the reason why I tell this, if it happened to me, it can happen to anybody because I got the most secure job that I thought I could ever get working for the local county government in California, of all places, but I got laid off. Well, I take that layoff notice and I go to my desk and I sit down and I realize two things sitting right there. The first thing I realize is, number one, I need to get another job. I need to be able to provide for my family. So I was really, really blessed. Praise the Lord to be able to find another job in the same county, different department. They weren't having money issues. So I went over there, started doing IT work for them. And then the second thing, that I realized sitting in that chair, just getting laid off was that I need to make sure that this never ever happens to me again. I need to make sure that nobody has the ability to take away my ability to feed my family. Now, what I realized was anytime anybody would ask me the question, Dustin, what do you do? They're basically asking me. And whenever you get this question, you get asked the same question. What value do you put on yourself? I would normally reply just like everybody well, I work for county, I do IT work, basically projecting my job as being where I get my value. No, my value doesn't come from my job. It comes from my God, from myself, and from my family. So right then and there, I realized my value needs to be projected that I am now gonna tell everybody. Because remember, I wanted to be an investor, but life got in the way. And I realized I'm gonna tell everybody, now I am an investor. That's who I am, that's what I do. And it may so happen that 100% of my money comes from my job, that's now my part-time job. I'm a full-time investor. Fast forward the story. I started buying property after property after property, each one making me $250 or more in passive income from every one that I bought. And eventually I had 30 plus properties. And I realized, my goodness, why am I working here? Even though I'm making $75,000 a year at this job, good job and all, but I'm losing money working here. So I'll round out the story by sharing. I went to my new boss. I said, hey boss, good boss and all. Say, hey, boss, I'm laying you off. Like, here's your two weeks' notice. And he said, <laughs> Dustin, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't have to do anything. I own real estate, it works for me. I don't do a thing. I make money in passive income. So I'll round out the story by sharing. If you remember that hallway that I went to my first boss, the hallway, that short hallway that got longer and longer and longer. Well, this last walk that I took away from my job. It was a mile and a half walk. I've taken this walk a thousand times. I worked in downtown, so I didn't want to pay for parking. And so it was a mile and a half walk. This walk was the best walk of my life because I knew I would never, ever need a job again. And I felt like I was walking on clouds because my life was dramatically changed. Nobody could take away my ability to feed my family. And so everybody needs to realize this, this story of me, this happening to me, it can and probably will something like this will happen to everybody. And so everybody needs to realize your value is so much more than anybody could ever pay you. And so here's how you would know that. Your boss is paying you just enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much money that takes money out of their pocket. So if you got paid what you're worth, they would probably go broke. So it's better to take, instead of putting your life in something that is risky, my opinion, working a job is risky because I lost it easily. Mm -hmm. Now, What's not risky? People think investing in real estate is risky. It's absolutely not. If you know what you're doing, you learn how to do it and you do it the right way. It's so much more risky working for somebody else. So I'll pause the story because you probably got plenty of questions. <laughs> yeah, I do. But, you know, it's really interesting and I appreciate you sharing it. You know, it's something that everybody can relate to. I think, especially anyone that is in a position of being 
you know, especially a provider for their family, whether it's a man or a woman, you know, that it's a heavy, it's very significant. I wouldn't call it a burden, but it's a very significant, you know, responsibility that you carry and a commitment, you know, that you've made with the choices and the actions, you know, by having your family. So I can definitely appreciate what you're saying. And I think that, you know, before we kind of jump into more the real estate aspect of everything, which, you know, definitely want to get into that. But I think it's interesting to take a minute to think about how difficult it is to really push yourself out of that comfort zone, especially the older you get and the more established you you are. You know, it seems like there's like the risk has somehow inherently increased the more successful you become should you dare to depart, you know, from that path. And so, you know, what looking back, would you say, do you realize now in hindsight was some of the, you know, kind of most powerful or motivating steps that you took or thoughts that you had or beliefs that you held to that helped you not only get out of your comfort zone, but stay out of it? Because the temptation to return to it is often strong too. Totally. And for me, I needed something, even though I knew I wanted to be an investor, I knew it was the right way to go. I needed something like getting laid off. Like that was literally one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And if it happens to anybody, what happens is it wakes us up. And if you dwell on it, I could have just sat in that chair. Remember, I went to my chair and I realized those two things. I could have just sat in my chair and just sulked and said, well, it was me. You know, the world's horrible, blah, blah, blah. No, the world's not fair. Life's not fair. It's only what you make it to be. And so what I realized was my family depended on me. If I didn't provide for them, my family's going to, I have four kids. They're going to go hungry. They're going to go starve. And so it's on me to take care of them. We homeschool. Like you said, my wife homeschools the kids. I have the easy job of making money. She's got the hard job of homeschooling the kids. And so what really got me was I had my why. Two things. Number one, my family, obviously. I want to make sure I provide for them. The second thing was I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to make sure that I didn't have anybody holding that job over my head. So for that's one suggestion is have that why always on the forefront of your head, your mind. And so your, my goal was to quit my job in 10 years. And so I started working towards that. Now, the second thing, here's a big thing by far that I would recommend on top of your why is as we are taught this plan of going to school, getting the grades and eventually getting a career, they're teaching you to be an, basically an employee. But what that turns out to be is active employment or active income. You work one hour, and then you get paid for that one hour, one time. That's the reason why I created Master Passive Income. That's where I do that in my podcast and coaching and YouTube channel, all that good stuff. But it's because I realized when I bought one rental property, I literally don't do anything else. I hire the right people to do the business for me, to run the business for me, and it's passive income now. And what's great is, well, I'll pause that by saying, I do not invest for appreciation. Appreciation is great. It's like icing on the cake. But what I do is I invest for passive income all these properties, 30 plus properties I own, plus all the syndications that I'm a part of, all this sort of stuff, I'm literally going to give these to my kids. This is generational wealth that I'm creating. And so what I do is I now take that passive income because I know we want to talk about like in the process of quitting your job. We'll get to that in just a second. What I realized was I had a family and I asked my wife, I said, hey, honey, how much money do we need to have in order for me to be able to pay for our bills. Like basically what are our expenses? And I remember, remember the number specifically, it was $4,200. She said, we need $4,200. I said, it's mortgage and bills and all that sort of stuff. I said, okay, check. That's what I need to do. I need to make sure I make $4,200 in passive 
income. I don't want to just replace it. Remember, I, I was always entrepreneurial, so I had other jobs or other businesses, but I just had other jobs basically. So I traded one boss with you know working a job. If I have customers like a convenience store, like I did have, if the customers didn't come in, they wouldn't provide me money for my business, which is I trade one boss for lots of bosses. Instead, mm -hmm. creating a business where we have passive income, where we work one time, you make money over and over and over again. And so I realized that I needed $4,200 a month in passive income from any streams of income. My river of income, I love streams of income, which is great. I love having lots of streams, but they all flow into my river of income, which is my real estate investing. And so if I bought one property, I realized this, to quit my job, I just got to scale the business. If I buy one property, it makes me $250 a month in passive income. That's $3,000 a year without working. We have 10 properties. If I scaled it to 10 properties, that's $2,500 a month, $30,000 a year without working. 20 properties is $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year in passive income. You keep scaling from there. Eventually, I had enough properties where I realized, my goodness, I'm losing money the more I work here. If I quit my job because I had my expenses covered, that's the biggest thing is having your expenses covered. I was able to quit my job. And then I realized, my goodness, now I have 40 plus hours of my life back. And what I do now is I build passive income businesses. I'll give you a quick example of one other one. I actually created a real estate investor conference. So this conference, even though it takes a lot of work, I actually hire people. They are the ones that actually do all the work. So it's passive for me. I build a business. It's called the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. We meet in Phoenix this year. Next year, it'll be in Florida. Anyways, all that to say, I create passive income businesses. And that's the biggest thing for me was I realized if I create passive income, stop doing this active income. That's just for birds. We don't want to do that. In fact, I would say probably about 80% of the population is probably great, perfect fit. They need to be employees. We need to have people we can hire. 20% of the population, we are the ones doing the hiring. We're the ones taking the risk and we're the ones to make sure that everybody has jobs and we provide great services for people. So that, that's how I was able to scale my business. And the biggest thing is that I built a business that I could scale the business where I could just add property after property. And we could definitely talk all about that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's exactly what I wanted to do. But we got to jump in here now. Uh, so, you know, here you are, you're making this big decision, you're going to start building out a bunch of passive income streams. Now, first and foremost, let's talk about the assets. So what made you settle on single family homes? Like why of all assets did you choose that? So when I say single family homes, when I term single family homes as residential, so four units and below, because the biggest reason why is because I thought it would be so hard to get a lot of money to buy a multifamily. And there's, it just seems more complex, which I know it's not. I know it's just economies of scale. We, you're going to buy one house, just like buying a property. It's just a lot of different things about it. But for me, I realized I bought a house before a house to live in. It's not that hard. I've already done it once. Check to buy a house that I could rent it. It's just adding extra steps of, I have people that work in the business and then get somebody to rent it out. And so that's what got me started, but I'll quickly give you, cause I definitely want to share how I did it, like literally it's the right steps, but then also share quickly the wrong steps. So when I got started, it was in 2006. And in 2006, and there probably still are, I don't watch late night TV, but in 2006, I watched TV like, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning. There was an infomercial that came on. Hey, you know, quote unquote gurus. Hey, we're coming to your town. We're going to be here, come to a free seminar. So I went there, one hour seminar. It was all a sales pitch. After the sales pitch, they said, okay, now everybody run to the back. It's normally $80,000, but we're only going to charge you $1,000 for this next two-day seminar. The first 100 people we're going to give it to. I ran to the back. I said, okay, great. I gave that $1,000. It was a two-day seminar, another seminar. 
It was two days, a two-day sales pitch for their $40,000 course, their $50,000 course, their $80,000. It was ridiculous. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, like if I had that money, I wouldn't give it to you. I just figure out how to do it myself. So that's what I did. But I did take what they told me. Here's what they say. I'm going to give you the quick, broad overview of residential properties. The way the gurus tell you, quickly forget it. So I'll quickly go over it. What they're going to say is you find a property anywhere in the country. This is what I did back in 2006. Find a property anywhere in the country. You run the numbers, which makes sure your expenses are X amount, your income is more, your rents are higher than that. So you make a little bit of money in passive income. They say, make $25 or $50 a month in passive income, but you'll get appreciation. That's what you're going to love, which remember I said, I don't invest for appreciation. It's just passive income now. $250 or more is a minimum for us now, all my students and myself. But they say that, run the numbers, then you buy the property. You spend thousands of dollars to buy the property. Then you spend thousands of dollars to fix up the property. Then you find a tenant to live in there to pay your rent. And then you find a property manager. Remember, forget this. That's all bad. In fact, that's all just about backwards. Actually, what I did, I followed that and my property manager started stealing from me within six months. It was horrible because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just following what the guru was just telling me. What we do now, I realize now is that because remember, I've always been entrepreneurial, in my life, I realized if I would have said, oh, okay, it just doesn't work. Throw my hands up. It doesn't work. And then go on because the property manager is stealing from me. I wouldn't be here today. What I realized though, is that people have done it in the past. There's got to be a way to do it. So I instead approached this with a business mindset. And I thought I'm going to go with a business mindset. And here's what I'll tell you. This is the right way to do it. This is the way I teach my students. This is how we all become successful. We build the business first. If you're going to be doing multifamily, if you're going to be doing storage complexes, if you're going to do land investing, whatever it might be, rental properties especially, we build the business first. Now, let me quickly, this is the right way to do it. Let me quickly give you what example, what that means. And this is why I went with four units and below the residential is because I can easily do it. I don't need to go borrow lots and lots of money. I don't have to, you know, try to get a lot of people for syndications, and all that sort of stuff because it was easy for me. And here's the building the business. The example is if you're going to start a convenience store, you know, a convenience store, candy bars, soda machines, all that good stuff. You're not going to sign a lease on a location, open the doors and set a box of candy bars in there on the ground. No, no you're not going to do that. You go out of business in two seconds. What you would do, though, is you would build the business first. You get the gondolas. Those are the shelving units that all the candy bars go on. You get the countertops, the cold storage, the, the bank accounts, cash registers, employees, insurance, all that before you buy any inventory. Now, when you're investing in real estate, exact same thing. We build the business first. Now, the gurus will tell you, you buy one property, multifamily, residential, four unit, whatever it might be. That's your business. No, 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 no. My business owns inventory. I'm an investor. I don't buy a property and say that's my business. I have a business that owns inventory. So now this is how I was able to scale my business to be able to quit my job so fast. It was like six years. I had enough properties to be able to quit my job. I built the business and all I needed to do was buy another piece of inventory, another property, and then put that into my business. And so I already had the business running itself. They write realtors, property managers, inspectors, mortgage brokers, private money lenders, roofers, plumbers. I literally had everybody in the business. So all I had to do, just like if I bought a candy bar and sold it for a dollar, but I bought it for 50 cents, same exact thing. That's my inventory. Same thing with real estate investing. You build the business first and then you buy the inventory and put that into the business. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it does. It does, of course. That, you know, far easier said than done. So let's actually talk about that particularly in this economy, um, you know, and even more so now, you know, that the Fed have raised the interest rates. So it's far easier said than done. 
So first of all, the single family market or the residential market, it's unbelievably competitive, right? To the extent that, you know, I, I know that I just read a story the other day that was saying even in single family home rentals, renters are getting into bidding wars, you know, just trying to actually win the lease, you know? So how are you able to do that in today's economy or what advice would you give to somebody trying to do that right now? So the last thing you just said, talking about the bidding wars for renters, imagine being the person that owned that inventory that they're bidding up trying to get into your property. I bought these properties back in 2000, started in 2006 and kept buying properties. And now I have properties literally making double. Remember, my minimum is $250, $250 a month in passive income. Some were making three, dollars $400, $500 a month because I buy it right. And sure. I'll get to the purchasing and the interest rate in just a second. But imagine now, instead of just making $250 a month, 10 years later, it's doubled. You're making $500 a month and you have more properties. Like you're doubling your money that you make every single month, every single year because rents go up over time. My expenses are fixed. You know, my mortgage is fixed. So we'll go back to the purchasing of the property. Now, what I love is that there are so many ways to do this right. Meaning there's so many ways to get financing. There's so many ways to buy the property. Now we're investors. Us as investors, I don't pay market value for properties. I don't do that. All my students, we don't do that. In fact, what I teach my students is we negotiate. We don't buy it at top dollar. We negotiate. Even though there are other bidding wars on properties, that's fine. You guys go ahead. If you're a bidding war, you guys go ahead. We run a business. Our inventory, let's just say, I'll quickly give an example. If you're going to buy a candy bar and there's a bidding war for candy bars, but you know you could only sell it for a dollar, and you know your overhead is 25 cents, and what's the most that you can actually buy it for if you wanna make a profit? If you don't make a profit, you can only buy it for 75 cents because your expenses are 25 cents, you're not making any money. That's not a business. You wanna make sure that your top dollar, let's say it's 50 cents, I still need to make 25 cents. 25 cents to expenses, I can only sell it for a dollar, I need to make 25 cents. So the most I will buy it for is 50 cents. If other people are gonna pay $2 for it, that's fine, you guys go right ahead. I'll keep searching for a right piece of inventory that's going to fit my business model. Out of curiosity, though, are you finding deals or are you basically, are you able to still in today's economy find those good deals? Absolutely. Now, here is the thing. In fact, just one student yesterday, I had to, I had to give him a call and kind of encourage him. I've been coaching him to find a new area of the country. We invest all over the country. Remember, I was in California, so I invest in Ohio, Texas, and Arizona. I have students investing out of state. Like We love investing out of state. One of my students, he was like, oh, I put in his first offer. He's so excited, put in an offer. And I was like, oh, they didn't respond. You know, like, is that too low? Did I offend them? I'm like, well, number one, it's not too low because it's your business. You are only going to spend what is right. You're not going to spend $2 for a candy bar when you can only sell it for a dollar. It's just, mm-hmm. you're not going to make money. You're going to lose money. You're going to, you know, hurt your family. So what I told him was, it doesn't matter if you offend them. You don't even know if you did or didn't. Don't even think like that. Think of, I'm going to try to offer what is best for me. If it's best for them, they're going to take it. Now, getting to your point, and so this is what I help my student realize, you need to put in even more offers. If you put in one offer on a property a week or a month, you're not going to get any properties. My students, we put in two, three, four offers a day. And the reason why is we don't know which property is going to be, like, let's say, something bad happens. Oh, this couple's getting a divorce. One guy just wants to sell it. He wants to get out of it. He's like, I don't take anything. Like literally give me whatever. I just want to get out. I hate this lady, whatever it might be. 
hey, somebody's going to take advantage of that or be able to take care of them. You also have some families that they don't have any money, but they need to sell this house. Like their grandma died or whatever it might be. They need to sell the house and they're okay with taking, you know, $100,000 less than it's worth because they want to get rid of it, whatever it might be. We don't know those opportunities until we start putting in those offers. So absolutely. And I'll give you an example. I have a pastor student of mine. He lives in California, lives in Sacramento, doesn't make much money. You know, pastors don't make much money. So he has a house though. And he said, Dustin, I really know I can't be a pastor forever. We don't make much money. I want to be able to provide a legacy for my children. How do I start investing? So we started coaching. I helped him. So he didn't have any money, but we got a home equity line of credit on his house because he lived in Sacramento. Prices got up. So he had Mm -hmm. a good amount of equity. We took that home equity use that home equity line of credit, bought a house in Georgia. So it was originally asking, and this was like two months ago, three months ago. So it's right now, even right now, as prices are really high, interest rates are really, really high. So they were asking $125,000 right around there. We negotiated, got it down to like $78,000. You might be thinking, what? How? Yes, we negotiate. That's what we do. We're investors. Because we knew the value. We knew how much it could rent for. It's not worth $125,000. Maybe to somebody else, but not to us. Just like my candy bar analogy. It's only worth to us, at most it was like $82,000. That was the most we could spend. And so what we do is we offer lower. Eventually worked our way up to $78,000. Fast forward the story. We now have it rented. He is now in the process of refinancing it. Remember, he got the money from his home. His home that he lives in bought this rental property. Now he doesn't have a mortgage on this new house. The mortgage is on his old house, which is great. He lives in. Now we're refinancing that, pulling the cash back out of that. That's going to have its own loan. He's going to take that money and pay off his home equity line of credit. So now his house doesn't have any loan on it. This new house has a loan on it. And because he fixed it up, it was worth like you know, regular market value was like $120,000. He bought it for 78, fixed it up. Now it's worth 150 or $160,000 home equity line of credit. Or we're, sorry, we're doing a cash out refinance, pulling out all of his money to pay off a home equity line of credit and $30,000 more to buy his next property. We're going to do that over and over and over again. So this is, I'm just scratching the surface, Jeanette, on how to get money, how to find properties, how to do all this. And what the great thing is, because I've been an investor since 2005, 2006, 2006 is when I bought my first property, but I started really started in 2005 trying to get it done. I, from me building my own business, I'm an investor. Like I just do this for fun. I just love helping people podcasting and you know, all this sort of stuff. And so I've duplicated my system because over and over again, because I could do it because I needed to move to different cities because I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. Then I started coaching people and then I made up a system or I figured out the system, the XYZ step-by-step process. And now we literally do it all over the country. And what's great is now I just have fun. When my faster student that bought his first property it was like, I bought my first property over and again. One, oh, I'll give you one last thing. One last example of how you can do it. So I love giving all this, all my students, every single type of options. Cause there's so many ways to do it. I give them the options and they figure out their risk tolerances, their goals, their situations on how to do it. I'll give you another quick example. So I had another student, his name's Benjamin. He lives in Tennessee and he wanted to start investing in December of 2019 before the coronavirus hit. I started coaching him. He started becoming a student of mine and we started investing. And a lot of people said, oh man, the coronavirus price prices started going up, all these problems. We didn't let that stop us. He didn't let that stop him. In 18 months, he grew his business. We got it to where he bought 11 duplexes, 22 units. He's making like $7,000 a month in passive income. He only started, I think he had $50,000 of his own home equity that we started. 
kept rolling that over and over and over and over again. Now he has 11 duplexes, 22 units, making $7,000 a month. He's investing mm-hmm. in Memphis, Tennessee. He's doing fantastic. So all that to say, there are so many ways to do it. You just have to be able to know what's out there so you can put that into your business and implement it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I love I love the fact that you're looking at it very pragmatically, that you're really looking at this as a business. I think that's excellent, excellent advice for, you know, full-time real estate investors. And I think that, you know, more than likely that mindset, you know, has to shift and you have to really get that established firmly before you can really succeed as a full-time real estate investor. So thank you very much for, you know, really, really clarifying that. And really, I think bringing that to the surface more than anything beyond, you know, the strategies or the assets or, you know, the different ways to, you know, compound and growth and, you know, the, the most important thing I think is, is really helping people to understand that if you want to be, you know, a true full-time real estate investor and you truly want to build a kingdom of passive income streams, right? It first and foremost begins, you know, on, honestly with mindset and the commitment to really look at it as a business and operate it as such. So I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. So before we kind of wrap things up, just in case people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Absolutely. So Actually, I, I just love sharing this. Do you mind if I give everybody a, a real estate investing course? I'll literally give it to them for free. No, I, please, by all means. Awesome. So yeah, I'll give it to you. I just want to show you how to do this. If you text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give you my real estate investing course, show you how to find an area of the country and invest anywhere in the country, out of state how to build the business first, how to scale the business, how to buy the right property so you can quit your job. You can even go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, all one word, forward slash free course. I'll literally give it to you. I also have my podcast, the Master Passive Income Podcast. It's literally just me teaching how to do this. I rarely do interviews. It's just like, hey, this is how you do it. In fact, just most recently, like two weeks ago, I released an episode, the 14 or 15 different ways that I've used to get financing to buy properties and how you can do it too. So it's just literally literally me giving this out. YouTube as well, find me on Master Passive Income. I also am on Instagram. So if you look up the Dustin Heiner, and I'm not that arrogant, but it's T-H-E, Dustin Heiner. It's the only you know, handle I could find. But the Dustin Heiner, you can find me there too. But I love just helping people. So get my course. I just want to see you get started investing in real estate. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing that. And I appreciate and have deep respect for the fact that uh, you're putting these resources out uh, for free You know, for anybody that wants to improve their lives and build passive income streams and really understand, you know, what it is to build a life that really is, you know, uh, financially free. So very, very nice. Yeah, thank you. All right. So we have arrived to the lightning round questions. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. So in between all these things that you're doing, what would you actually say is your favorite hobby? Oh, so one thing I do literally five days a week is I exercise. I do Olympic lifting. That's if you see, watch the Olympics, people lifting heavy weights over their head, it's called it's clean and jerk and snatch. I love doing that. That's like one of my favorite things to do. I can't not do that. But then the second thing quickly right behind that is building businesses. I love building businesses. I'm not happy unless I'm building a business. Awesome. Awesome. I can appreciate that. I'm not surprised to hear you say that either. <laughs> All right. And what is one thing that most people don't actually know about you that you're okay to share? Oh, so, well, one thing. I read the Bible literally multiple times a day, not just like one time a day or one time a week. I literally read the Bible every single week. We go to church. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do family worship with my kids every single night. I read the Bible to them. What's great is we'll get on my bed. 
I'll lay on my stomach and read the Bible. My kids will jump on my back and, you know, you know, just have fun. But I'll read the Bible to them. We'll sing songs. We'll pray just every single day, just trying to. And what I realized, and this is what led me into service, is, you know, Jesus in the Bible talks about serving people. Like, Jesus didn't come to be served, but came to serve. And that's what he wants his disciples to do. And as I realized that, I'm like, how can I serve people? And right now, serving people by just sharing with them financial independence as best I can. So, yes, it's serving people. But, yes, reading the Bible multiple times a day. Awesome. Awesome. All right. What about what book would you recommend, you know, real estate investors has to have to have as a must read, you know, in their list? I'll give you three. So first one, the Bible. That's a book I read literally every single day, but quickly getting right into that. The next one is, it's not necessarily a real estate book, but it's a fantastic book. It's The Richest Man in Babylon. And that's written by George S. Clausen. It's a fictional story, but gives financial principles that are brilliant. I mean, think of like, Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is another, but that's the third book I would tell. Rich Dad Poor Dad is number one. Most people read that one. But The Richest Man in Babylon puts that in a fictional story that really gets in your brain and it helps you to realize these principles are standing the test of time. And Rich Dad Poor Dad takes a lot of those principles and, and expounds on it. But The rich, Richest Man in Babylon, that wakes you up to realize that. And then Rich Dad Poor Dad helps you to realize the path to get there. Interesting. All right, cool. All right, and last but not least, what would be your key piece of advice for helping someone build their own type of extraordinary life? Oh, man. Focus on passive income. I mean, we could talk about lots of other things. But honestly, when you have money coming in without you working, that's by far amazing. And on top of that, to add to that, I love having streams of income. I love multiple streams of income. But I have a river of income. That's where all of my money goes into, that's where I create generational wealth that I'm going to give to my kids, but all these streams of income, all these other businesses, sponsorships, like all that stuff, all those passive income comes in and then it goes out to my river of income. That's my passive income through my real estate. Awesome. Couldn't agree more. All right. Great. All right. Well, that pretty much concludes everything. So you guys, thank you so much for joining us today. As a reminder, if you're interested in investing with Blue Lake Capital, feel free to stop by our website, bluelake-capital.com. And we would definitely appreciate if you would like and rate and review our podcast episode and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear more of. Until then, in the words of Ellie, be bold, keep moving forward and go build your own extraordinary life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.